Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is John Austin, who is a medical doctor, professor emeritus of radiology at the Columbia School of Medicine, and also he's the director of thoracic imaging at uh, Columbia, I guess it's Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. It used to be that, now it's Columbia University Medical Center for Oh. PR reasons. They changed the name. Oh, okay. Columbia <laughs> University Medical Center in, in Manhattan. Uh, Dr. Austin has been working in the, the field of thoracic imaging for, I think, almost 20 years. He's semi-retired now. I'll, I'll correct that. 40 years. 40 years. Okay. <laughs> and he's semi-retired. And a number of years ago, he and an Alexander Technique teacher uh, Pearl Ausubel, who is uh, uh, now deceased, a, a wonderful Alexander teacher in New York City, uh, co-wrote a study that involved um, uh, respiratory muscular function and the Alexander technique. And we're going to talk today about that study. Uh, uh, Dr. Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be on the show. Great. And I wonder if, if you could begin by d describing the study and, and its results and, uh, and the implications of that study. I'm happy to do that. The study was published in 1992 in the medical journal Chest, which is mainly intended for respiratory physicians or pulmonologists, as they're called in the trade. Uh, and it really is a study of breathing and the Alexander technique in which um, we entered with the hypothesis that aspects of breathing would be helped. But we weren't sure exactly what aspects of breathing would be helped. We just had the idea that that would happen. And what we actually did was a little pilot study with um, eight volunteers in which they had a series of 20 lessons, we made the educated guess that turned out to be right, the educated guess that 20 lessons would produce some improvements in respiratory function. There's nothing magical about 20 lessons, but as we all know, the Alexander Technique is educational, and 20 lessons we thought would be a good start. And in those eight subjects, we did show some significant changes. So we then went ahead and did a controlled study in which we took a total of 20 healthy adult volunteers um, and had 10 of those um, subjects as controlled, and they had nothing. And 10 of the subjects had weekly lessons, and before and after the 20-week interval of the one lesson a week, then um, we did standard testing of breathing. Uh, so I should say a word about what those tests involve. Mm -hmm. um, some of the listeners may have done it themselves. Basically, you hitch a tube up to the mouth, you cover the nose so there isn't any leak of air out the nose, and you have people breathe in and out, and you do various maneuvers. So um, from quiet breathing, then you have a person take a deep, as deep a breath as they possibly can, then you have them blow it out as as far as they possibly can, and that, that gives you the t maximum quantity of air that a person can move in and out of their lungs. Um, another standard test is how fast 
you can breathe it out. And the standard way that's done is to, after one second, you um, see what percentage of the total quantity of air the person is able to get out. That's a standard test in asthma or in, a, or in smokers with bronchitis or pulmonary emphysema. And that test, I might add, did not show significant change in our population of healthy people. Um, and then there's a very nice test in which um, you have the person just breathe in and out as fast and fast and furiously as they can, see how much air they can get in and out. And that's um, done over 15 seconds. It's, it's, a, it's a real muscular test. Um, and then um, we also measured um, what the respiratory physiologists call peak flow, the, how fast you can the fastest you can breathe air in, the fastest you can breathe air out. We'll discuss those results in a little bit. And then there's another thing that's a little like a little piece of tubing. It's like a trumpet mouthpiece um, with a teeny little side vent that can measure pressure. So you can actually measure the maximum pressure that a person can generate by breathing in and the maximum pressure they can measure breathing out. And, those we did show significant changes in. So to review the results, um, we did not show change. And I was hoping that we would actually show that Alexander lessons would um, enlarge the total quantity of air and lungs. And it did just by a little bit, um, about 120 milliliters in, in the subjects of our study, uh, the 10 people had lessons. But it wasn't statistically significant. Um, and it approached it statistical significance, but it wasn't there. Um, and this is the, 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 how much you could breathe out in one second, very standard test, that didn't show any change. But what did show change was the test of maximum, how much you can breathe in and out. Now, you can think when you breathe in and out as hard as you possibly can, um, that if your chest cage, your ribs and muscles are all tight, you're not going to do it so well. So, um, and we had, we we showed a six percent um, positive change, six percent increase, and that was that, that was very nicely statistically significant. We also showed an interesting thing that when you breathe out as hard as you possibly can. Um, that the peak expiratory flow is called, so that just the fastest, the fastest quantity you could breathe out, that significantly increased. And while we showed a 14% change coming in for maximum amount you could breathe in, even though that was a bigger number than than the 9% increase in expiratory flow, that didn't, that wasn't statistically significant. And we'll discuss that in a minute too. Um, and then the trumpet mouthpiece test um, for how much pressure you can generate at the mouth, breathing in as hard as you can, out as hard as you can, those very nicely changed. Those were around 10% approximately um, positive changes. So those, are, those are very nice results. So from this, where do we go? What does this all mean? And I, and I, this is all speculative, but it all makes sense. And it's all discussed in the paper. Um, our first thought is that 
you know, Alexander Technique lessons are absolutely wonderful for improving posture. As I'm talking here to you on the telephone, I'm imagining I'm having an Alexander lesson. I'm sitting up very, very nicely. Uh, Alexander is wonderful for making you do that. So the first thing that occurred to us was increased length of muscles of, of the entire torso. That is, because the Alexander Technique strongly encourages the voluntary inhibition of the slouching and slumping that's really easy for us to do all the time, um, uh, it actually lengthens these muscles, and longer muscles work better. Mm-hmm. And that's that's very well established. That that's that's you know whether you're you know throwing a baseball or or breathing, longer muscles are uh, just can generate more strength. That's a purely mechanical thing. Then mm-hmm. another aspect of this that is a nice speculation is the abdomen. The muscles, the abdomen has muscles all around it, front and back. And what we wondered there, while, um, you know, if you sit up very nicely, you do get a little, you can get increased length of the muscles in the front of the abdomen. But what also I think happens, we're speculating on this with Alexander lessons, is that um, because the abdomen becomes, the muscles of the abdomen become, you know, know, they become unlazy. You use them rather than just slouching where you're letting all those muscles relax. Mm -hmm. And if you're using them, then you're going to have increased strength. So this is both the muscles you can think of of the sides and the front of the abdomen, but also the muscles below back, which uh, and I have suspicion that the reason my own low back pain totally went away after after for me it was goodness about eight months of Alexander lessons um, is that um, those muscles gain in length and strength also just in daily use it's it's strength and the tone of the muscles. Um, and my guess is that's why in this study we showed more um, improvements in breathing out than in breathing in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, you just use those belly muscles uh, really nicely when you're trying to breathe out as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also something else that's interesting about muscle, which is um, muscle has what's called resting tension. Um, it isn't just like nothing's going on in the muscle at all. All muscles have a little something going on, and what and and it's certainly a, a standard observation. My Alexander teaches that some people come in with really tight muscles in the chest. The teacher can feel them, whether it's the intercostal muscles that are between the ribs. You know, the muscles you eat when you eat ribs, uh, so to speak. Uh, and if those if teachers have observed that those muscles become less tight, and that certainly is a standard observation, then that means the resting tensions of those muscles are reduced. And that means that that when the muscle 
goes into into hard use like breathing out hard or breathing in hard that um, you'll get increased function from those muscles. One way that people think about this in the respiratory physiology business is that you can think of it as a corset. Uh, if you have really tight muscles of the chest, like a corset, that restricts movement. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. So what you really do is you release um, a, a corset effect. Um, an analogous thing is the so-called military posture, where you really arch your back, mm-hmm. and that restricts movement of especially the ribs and the lower back. Military uh, uh, posture is not good for breathing. Right. And it's, then probably, we a, it's probably just as bad as, as slumping for breathing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then the last thing that that we speculated, and I, I just intuitively you know this just has to be true. Um, if you if you're freeing these muscles to work from lower tensions, and you're freeing these muscles from the tension so that they're longer and therefore more effective, uh, and you're then it just seems intuitively obvious that you must have enhanced coordination of the whole musculoskeletal system involved in breathing. There's there's one really interesting um, neurophysiology paper that was published, oh, I believe it was around 25 years ago, um, which showed that um, in the neck, the receptors, the little nerve endings that are receptors for position of the neck muscles, those are extraordinarily dense. It's as if as if the neck was designed to record extraordinarily sensitively, you know, exactly where the muscles of the neck and the bones of the neck are positioned. Mm-hmm. And because the Alexander Technique, of course, is very strongly involved with trying to have free uh, use of the neck, our idea is that that may well be a mechanism to increase length of the neck, in, improve balance and flexibility in the neck, that this will help uh, coordination as well. Mm-hmm. So those are speculations. I mean, these are these are real these are real results. So it's, it's, um, and these these are you know in a section selection of controlled, healthy, young and middle aged adults. Right. And just to to amplify a little bit what you said about the the, the neck, that mm-hmm. uh, for our listeners who may not be that familiar with the Alexander technique. Uh, as you said, Alexander Technique teachers uh, tend to uh, put a lot of attention on the, the state of their students' necks. And and if you think about it just uh, at most elementary biomechanical level, you've got this head which weighs 10 to 12 pounds poised up at the top of your spine. It's a big part of your total body weight. And how right. you manage that, uh, its relationship with the, the spine itself is pretty crucial for balance and coordination throughout your whole body. So it's certainly... Absolutely right. It, it's, it, not posturally and certainly um, 
it would stand to reason that it would affect uh, your breathing coordination as well. So from an I guess from an Alexander teacher's point of view, it's not terribly surprising. But it's wonderful to have the actual experiment carry experiments carried out to to verify that. I agree. What would you say in terms of the implications of that study? It, uh, as my first thought is, it might not be as crucial for someone who had. Uh, had a normal breathe, fairly normal breathing pattern to start with, although it would certainly be helpful. But I could imagine, and I'm just guessing here, that someone whose breathing was a bit compromised, uh, that that uh, it, it, it might suggest that uh, taking some Alexander lessons would be a, a pretty good idea. What how, would you say that, or would you have a, a different take on that? Well, I'm, I'm of course a physician. So the obvious thought is that people with difficulties of breathing could be helped by this, by lessons in the technique. And what those of us um, who are in the respiratory disease research community need to do are studies on patients with the various respiratory diseases, whether it be asthma or bronchitis or emphysema or the various diseases that involve scarring in the lungs and the decreased lung volume. All of these are studies that need to be done. And um, and I'm, in truth, I'm hoping, now that I'm semi-retired, I'm hoping to be able to initiate some of those, but it hasn't happened yet. It's going to take a lot of work, and I would love mm-hmm. to welcome anybody out there who wanted to uh, be involved in such a, in, in such projects. Mm-hmm. So, as things currently stand, though, it it sounds as though someone who, certainly someone whose breathing is compromised for one reason or another, that taking some lessons in the Alexander technique might be, might be certainly worth a try. And oh, I would, absolutely. I would also imagine that someone for whom breathing. Good quality breathing is particularly important. So uh, obviously athletes, but also singers, uh, and any anyone where, where breathing is Im- more important. Good breathing, let's say, is more crucial than the average person would do would do well to investigate the Alexander technique. And and you had mentioned that your your own. Uh, back pain was uh, alleviated mm-hmm. with lessons, and and I should mention here that um, there is uh, has been a, about two years ago a major study on back pain and the Alexander technique conducted in the UK, uh, sponsored by the National Health Service, uh, published in uh, British Medical Journal, and actually which showed pretty conclusively that the Alexander technique was an incredibly cost-effective way of helping uh, people with back pain and indeed yeah. and indeed uh, that study has spawned at least two follow-up studies that reinforced the original so um i guess yeah, I mean, I, of, yeah go ahead of course as a physician there i have to say there are people who have bad disc disease mm-hmm. and who need surgery for it but the kind of pain i had was uh, absolutely common pain where it's 
you know, your low back hurts mm -hmm. uh, to some variable degrees, and what you don't have any clue is that you're doing it to yourself. And I remember thinking, no doctor's going to be able to help me with this. Right. And well, in a way, I was right. It was the Alexander technique that right. helped me because I just learned, I learned to sit. Right, uh, right. And, and I do a lot of sitting all day long. I have a desk job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you know, that's a very important study. And I, I think we should we should really make it clear here that the Alexander technique is not a therapy. It's a it's a teaching process. And and as you say, there are certainly going to be conditions that the Alexander technique is not going to be able to help. But on the other hand, um, quite often people with back pain or in we don't know because we don't have a a large-scale study, but certainly people with breathing issues might very well be helped based on your study. Um, One thing that I think yeah. is an implication of our study is that it's well known that as people age, that the total volume of air in their chest decreases, and the total volume of air, the kind of tests we did that they can move out in and out quickly, decreases. Mm -hmm. And what would be very interesting to do, and it would be a very long-term study, would be to follow uh, people over, say, 20 years, uh, comparing a control group and uh, an Alexander lessened group. And to me, it's intuitively clear that Alexander lessons can apply to good posture, good use of your respiratory muscles, good use of your neck. Um, that um, that it will en enhance one's breathing, uh, whether you're, you have disease or not, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. well well into elderly years. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's a little off topic, but it it would um, one of the dangers of of aging is uh, balance issues, falling that sort oh, of yes. thing, and the Alexander technique. Uh, can be very effective in, uh, in basically improving your coordination and your ability certainly to balance your head on top of your spine, which in turn has pretty big implications for overall uh, balance. Absolutely so. true. Absolutely correct. So I'm wondering um, how you, uh, a professor of radiology, uh, ha happened to find the Alexander Technique. Well, that's a very nice question, and I'm happy telling you. I'm, um, I'm, I am a physician, but I almost became a musician. I played the violin and the viola, and I was, um, this is now, goodness, help, it's 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago. Um, I, had a, I was having a problem with my playing in, in which I was getting tendonitis in the right shoulder, and I was having trouble just moving the bow. I was, I was getting stuck um, uh, drawing a, a full length of bow in the violin and viola. And my teacher said, oh, you should try the Alexander technique um, because he had had lessons. And I said, what's that? Thinking that was some musical technique and he explained it. Uh, and he recommended that I go to his teacher. He went to lessons for, for lessons in Alexander technique to a teacher. That teacher, Andrew Perloff-Sabell, became my co-author and and you know when I put my lessons in a super scientific kind of way just you know you've got to prove this funny thing is going to work 
third or fourth lesson, I realized that there was just deep truth in this technique. And I said, oh, my God, I have to do a study. Uh, so we uh, uh, we did it. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I had a conversation with Dr. Paul Little, who was the, the lead mm-hmm. investigator of the UK back pain study we just talked about. And he, too, had been a, oh, and he told me he had come very close to becoming a professional musician. Yeah, before, right, I didn't know that. Yeah, before deciding to uh, go to med school. So that's, it's it's interesting that, that uh, although I don't think in his case, I don't think that was the connection that got him into the study. But a, in any event, it's interesting there are those parallels in your background. That, that is a nice parallel, and I'm happy to say that my, that my tendonitis went away with, very gradually over within a year. My tendonitis maybe had nothing to do with the oxide lesson, mm-hmm. but I, at the time I felt absolutely clear that I was learning how to let go of a shoulder that I had been absolutely unnecessarily um, scrunching. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to uh, talk about? Gosh, nice question. Uh, you know, I think we've covered it very well. Okay, well, uh, my uh, my guest today has been Dr. John Austin, who's a professor uh, emeritus of radiology at Columbia uh, School of Medicine, also director of thoracic, I guess director of had been for many years director of thoracic imaging at uh, Columbia University Medical Center. And uh, we've been talking today about the Alexander technique and breathing and other related uh, topics to do with the Alexander technique. Uh, Dr. Austin, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you very much for the opportunity.